With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Michigan State had its 80-year streak of having a player drafted in the NFL draft snapped in 2021. But a new streak is officially underway after the Spartans had not one, not two, not three, but four players taken over the weekend in Las Vegas. Where did they end up and how could they fit in at their new homes? We will discuss that as well as the latest player movement on the football and basketball teams on episode 77 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Monday, May 2nd, 2022. Gentlemen, how goes it? Uh, hope you enjoyed the draft festivities this year. We will get to more of that in a bit. But Kyle, for once, we got some news before we recorded the pod, which is a nice change. Uh, Julius Marble has found a new home. Yeah, I told Julius to hurry up and uh, get it out there because we were recording today. So thank you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks to Julius for abiding by our schedule. But uh, nice no parting gift. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it. Uh, he's off to Texas A&M. And, you know, as we talked about, um, I think on the pod when he went in, um, everyone kind of thought that this was uh, way more about he, him and his family than it was maybe about basketball and the typical, I'm not getting enough minutes. I'm not getting enough shots thing. I'm not saying he didn't have any of those feelings, but the, the fact that he went to Texas A&M, which is, um, with, looks like within a couple hours there of Dallas, um, it's kind of what we expected. You know, he'll be able to be close to home, see his family more, his family can see him play. Um, you know, as we talked about, he lost his father early in his Michigan state career. So I think, I think this is something that he's wanted to do. Um, so if this is the rest, best move uh, for him, then I think, it, you know, me and I think everybody at Michigan State should just say good for him and and best of luck. Because I think this one was maybe a little different than a lot of transfers that we see out there. Yeah, a lot of people were surprised when Julius Marble entered into the portal because, you know, he projected to be their starting five coming right. into this year. He had, he had the most returning experience with Marcus Bingham leaving. And he was a pretty, you know, he was a solid, successful uh, role rotation player for Michigan state over his first two years. And I think maybe he has a little bit of room to grow, but yeah, obviously coming from Dallas, you know, I had mentioned people remember, or I thought some people maybe forgot when he committed uh, in the class, Michigan state was hard after Vernon Carey and Isaiah Stewart that year, they missed out on both of them. And then Julius Marble kind of filled that role. They sent him an offer and then he almost immediately committed. It, it was really fast developing. Um, and, you know, it was almost like Julius Marble, maybe, didn't think he was going to state and then all of a sudden he gets the late offer and then he is going to state and it's a long ways from Dallas. So, uh, you know, if, if you're coming to Michigan and you, you don't really have any ties and your family's going through some things as he's been pretty upfront and forthright with, um, that that affected his family a lot and he wants to go home and, and be closer to support 
his mom and whatnot. I mean, I totally respect that. And I've seen nothing but positives from Michigan State fans, uh, which I appreciate because uh, there's no reason not to support Julius Marble. He came in, worked hard, maybe a little bit limited at times, but um, particularly on defense. But nobody could ever uh, um, accuse Julius Marble of not working hard or bringing energy. Yeah, and um, it, it was a bit of a, I don't want to say shotgun marriage, but I'm trying to think of a better term than that. Um, like, like, like <laughs> if, if you remember, you're right. I mean, they, Michigan State kind of shot the moon as far as big men in that class, and they missed out on Vernon Carey, Isaiah Stewart, and Trace Jackson Davis. That was all in the fall, and we're kind of sitting there in December then um, with not a lot of options. So, that, you know, they heard about Julius Marble, who – um, was kind of in a similar boat. I mean, he had gotten hurt his junior year and really didn't get the recruiting love offers. So th- they kind of heard about him through a connection. So it was kind of, here's a school that really needs a big man. Here's a big man who, you know, didn't have a good recruiting process and needs a home. And it kind of got mushed together. But you're right. I mean, it, it was not the typical recruiting process. I mean, it all happened very quickly, as you said. Um, and, and obviously, geographically, it was different than they usually go from. So I, I mean, I, I thought it worked out pretty well for a couple of years. I mean, I think he was solid at times as a reserve. Um, you know, shoot, last year, they don't beat UConn without him. Um, he certainly had his his strong games, um, maybe not quite the consistency that he or some others wanted. But um, for what he was, kind of a last minute, quick addition um, to that class. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was a bad career at Michigan State by any means. No, and Texas A&M, I think, is a decent landing spot. It's close right. to home. It's a team that, you know, under Buzz Williams, I think, is on the upswing in the SEC. I mean, just 9-9 nine and nine last year in the conference, but we saw them make a uh, win a couple big games in the SEC tournament, and I think they made it to the Final Four of the NIT, uh, if I'm re- remembering correctly. So, I mean, a, a decent maybe up, up and upcoming program. Buzz Williams has had success before, and there's room for – for a player like Julius Marble to get strong minutes there. I mean, they were mostly a guard laden team last year um, and plenty of room for, for a front court player to get minutes there. So I think all in all, it's going to work out well for both teams. Julius gets to move closer to home. He's in a program where he can get some minutes and Michigan state, you know, obviously they have to had to respect his wishes from the Michigan state standpoint. Now you're, you know, the fan base is up in a tizzy about the center position uh, you know, really just Mati Sissoko, true freshman Jackson Kohler, who was shown out at the Iverson Classic over the weekend, um, coming in. And then Joey Hauser, uh, since we've last recorded, also announced that he's returning, and we saw him play small ball five at times last year. People still want him to go out and get a five in the portal, Kyle. I mean, how do you view the position as of right now? I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, I, I feel like I can usually – kind of tell what the strategy is with a lot of this roster stuff and offseason stuff. And and you can too. And a lot of people can, you know, it's pretty obvious, you know, last year they need a point guard, they go get a point guard, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward. I, I, I guess I cannot remember being a little bit more surprised um, by the big man approach this offseason and just the, you know, the lack of seemingly the lack of looking for any, um, any additions um, because, you know, is there going to be limited, in you know where he, when he goes into the portal i think we all agree on that but he has shown that when there is an immediate significant need he'll do it um as there was last year with point guard and like the way i look at it this is a pretty immediate significant need um so i've been surprised to see them um not show any urgency into it i mean it you know you, you kind of try to run through like what what am i missing here you know i thought for a second maybe um um, Marcus Bingham was going to come back because he hadn't really shut the door when he left, but then he went and hired an agent and 
Um, he's officially not coming back. Uh, part of me thought for a second that maybe Julius Marble would look at the portal and, you know, pull a Connor Hayward and, and turn around and come back. But as we just found out, that's not happening. So, you know, there's kind of a, you know, um, these kind of options you think through and, and they're all kind of disappearing off the table now. When you, and you're looking at Mighty Sissoko, who, um, you know, we, we've talked about before, hasn't really developed the way anybody thought. Jury's not out on him. He could have a good year. But one of my biggest concerns with him is he, he can't stay on the court. Um, just with a foul trouble, you know, like, I don't know how you can look at the way he's played and say, Oh yeah, we're going to get 15, 20 minutes a game out of him. Like he hasn't shown <laughs> that he can, he can play that many times without following five minutes without following five times. So he's um, like the Tasmanian devil. Out right. There. <laughs> so that's him. Like maybe they're really counting on Jackson Kohler. Um, you, you mentioned the Averson classic. I mean, he it sounded like he played pretty well down there. Um, but man, it seems like, um, it seems thin there and it seems like there's not a lot of options and it seems like you could get in pretty trouble pretty quickly through foul trouble, through injuries. And maybe Joey Howard should give you some minutes, but I think he's made it pretty clear that, uh, he's not a big fan of that. Um, I think he's, you're limited in the matchups. You can get, pull that off in. And uh, the fact that they haven't gotten another body there, at least for some insurance, um, is one of the more surprising roster building um, kind of decisions that I've, I've seen recently. Well, and I suppose there's still time. I mean, there's this, they have scholarships and, you know, there's guys, there's plenty of guys who are in the portal who haven't committed anywhere yet. So things could change, I guess. And maybe there's something in the works. We don't know the inner workings, but from an outward perspective, there ha- it doesn't appear to be a lot of urgency there. Do you think there's a chance that, I mean, Jackson Kohler dropped 20 at the Iverson Classic against some of the other best players in the country. Do you think there's a chance that we're just, like, not seeing something with Jackson Kohler? That maybe he really is, like, one of these freshmen who can come in and make a huge impact right away? I know we've talked about him on the defensive end, and, you know, that's what a lot of us have said. And I saw him getting on Twitter the other day, uh, you know, chirping some, some – some not chirping, but talking to some Michigan State people like – I've been working on my defense nonstop. I think you're going to be real impressed with uh, how far I've come on that side of the ball. That's one thing to say it and another to have to actually line up against Hunter Dickinson and company. Um, But do you think there's a chance that maybe we're just underselling how good Jackson Kohler could be as a freshman? It's certainly possible. Um, As I try to run through the options here. um, I mean, that's been one of them is that the staff really feels good about Jackson Kohler and thinks that he can do it. Then, um, you and I can look at him and say, we, we think he's going to be limited defensively, but you know, uh, maybe they're making it coming to a different conclusion, um, over there at the Bryson center. It, it's possible. I, and I, and I saw those comments he made too, um, which is good. I mean, if, if that's what he's focusing on, I mean, I think our concern has been, um, not that he's not going to put the work in, but just that, you know, physically, um, it, um, you know, or athletically, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be limitations there, but, um, yeah, I mean, for pe- people always want to see the freshmen play a lot, um, and they might get the chance to at center. Um, you know, the other possibility is that there's somebody in the portal who they've, you know, they think they've got, or, you know, there's some quiet deal made or something like that. That mm-hmm. as, as more and more time goes on, that seems more and more unlikely. Um, I know some people thought that they were waiting until, um, May to do this because, um, players can't go in the portal after May 1st and be immediately eligible. So it's May now. So if they're waiting for that, we should see it soon. But yeah, um, it seems like if that was the case, that was going to happen by now. So, but, but like I said before, my, the, the different options of this running through my head are, are, are kind of getting smaller and smaller. And it seems like we're getting closer and closer to, well, Monty Sissoko and Jackson Cole are your guys go out there and, uh, and, and good luck. 
And we have seen, you know, as far as recruiting, I mean, for, for next year, they've just got Jeremy Fears committed right now. Um, he's a point guard, so he's not going to help you out with the big men, but obviously a good a good commit you got there. And we've seen them expand the recruiting footprint a little bit in recent days. They offered Scotty Middleton, a uh, four-star small forward from Sunrise Christian, where they obviously have ties and have sort of developed a little bit of a pipeline from, uh, you know, Tum Tum and uh, is down there. And you've got, you know, uh, Malik Hall came from there and some others. And then Devin Royal from Pickerington, Ohio, small forward, both four stars, sent out offers last week. Um, so is that just them trying to get a little bit bigger class next year? I mean, obviously that's not going to impact this upcoming season. No. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they, I mean, they're, I always thought that they had too few, um, offers out, you know, just, you know, if, if you're going to get two or three guys in a class, they had to have more offers out and that's what they're doing. Um, I'm glad you brought the recruiting though, because I, I do think, um, one thing at play here with looking at a big man is their biggest, I think, target by far for 2023 is Xavier Booker. Um, yeah. the, I mean, I think he's like low top 100 now, but everybody's after him. He's going to be a top 50, maybe top 40 kid pretty soon. Um, and all indications are Michigan state is putting the total full court press on him for 2023. So I, I'm guessing that part of that is if they take a transfer, it's going to be a one-year guy. Because I think if you take a multi-year transfer, you're risking Xavier Booker looking at that and saying, oh, well, that's cutting into my minutes in Michigan State. And it could decrease your chances of getting Xavier Booker. So if I had to guess, I would think that the options, if they are looking at options um, for center help next year, it's going to be a one-year guy, like a grad transfer type. Um, so, so maybe that's limiting things some. But I, I, if I had to guess, I would think that's, that's at play here. That's all they need. If they could just right. get like a, like Theo John, he's play at Marquette, went to Duke last year, defensive rebounding presence down low. That's all they need. They don't need some superstar. They just need somebody who is a body who's going to come in there with some energy and play defense and rebound. I mean, that's, they don't need some sort of superstar. I think that's all anyone wants to see. If they could get a commitment from Xavier Booker, I think that would sort of set off a chain reaction for a lot of things. And I think it would also put the fan base at ease a little bit because you'd have this six ten guy who was in the fold. Not that he, you know, not that it matters till he signs on the dotted line, but you would at least see that you have, you know, a, a big, big man, you know, committed. I think that right. would maybe help the fan base moving forward a little bit, but uh, yeah, just want to touch on basketball there because we got, we just got the breaking news, you know, we just had the NFL draft and we were going to jump right into that. But uh, Mr. Marble hooked us up with some breaking news right before we decided to hop on and record. And I think Kyle, there's a post up now, right? There, there is MLive.com. Yeah. Cool. So anything else on basketball? Or should we jump over to the, uh, to the NFL draft? Uh, no, it should be. It's still waiting for the uh, assistant coach. I think that might still be a little bit still. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, that, that's probably the, the next big thing that, that's going to come. Yeah, man. So much. We're just waiting on so much with the basketball program right now. And uh, people are tense, Kyle. I don't know if you've noticed uh, on the old third app, people are tense. So I, I can, I can address a little bit of um, that tenseness. I, there seemed to be some notion out there that they're like operating shorthanded right now without the uh, assistant. But uh, something I'm not sure everybody knows is that you can have a different staffer go out and recruit like an assistant when you don't have a full staff. Matt's nodding because this has happened with football before too. Um, so like they're not, they don't have like fewer guys out on the road recruiting. Like they have, uh, Mike Garland sitting there on staff who can sub in as an, you know, assistant coach when they're shorthanded. 
So, um, they're, I mean, they're, they're at full strength as far as going out and seeing guys and making visits and everything. And they have a very experienced coach who's able to do that. So, um, if they don't seem in a hurry, um, that could help kind of explain why a little bit, I guess I would say. Cool. Let's flip over to football. Obviously the big story over the weekend was the NFL draft. Michigan state, uh, had four guys drafted uh, a little bit of a change from last year, Matt, where you sat through the entire draft and, <laughs> didn't get to write about a single player getting taken, but uh, this year, you know, Kenneth Walker goes in the second round, 41st overall to the Seahawks. Jalen Naylor goes in the sixth round, 191st overall to the Vikings. Connor Hayward goes to uh, in the sixth round, 208th overall to the Steelers and AJ Curry with the second to last pick of the entire draft in the seventh round of the Rams. So, uh, you know, Matt, at least you got to uh, write a little bit more about Michigan state this year. <laughs> Yeah, you know, also help with the Lions, as I know Kyle did as well this year. Um, but yeah, last year was Saturday where you sit around for seven hours and about hour six, you're like, oh, <laughs> I need to pivot to write something else really quickly. Um, this year, obviously not the case. And you knew that wasn't going to be the case. You knew Kenneth Walker was going to come off the board um, early day two at the latest. And, and that's what we saw. And um, yeah, and then the other guy, you know, I thought the draft went as expected. I, I'm a little bit surprised our Curry got picked up, but um, he tested really well at pro day. You know, and you see a guy <laughs> standing 10 feet from a guy who's six foot seven and more than 300 pounds, and he jumps 33 and a half inch in a vertical. It catches your eye a little bit. Um, so, yeah, good for him, um, you know, sticking through. Uh, it was a challenging career with injuries and stuff and being uh, picked by the Super Bowl champions, but busy, uh, busy weekend to say the least. And it didn't help that. So the draft starts noon on Saturday at 1210 or so we lost power. So just a little bit of a problem when you're supposed to be watching the draft. Um, And that was two years after early day three uh, backup uh, drain flooded in our basement to start the day. So I've got some really good luck on day three of the NFL draft going. Jeez. Um, So yeah, AJ Curie, I mean, if you looked at Michigan state's offensive line play, you know, two years ago, three years ago, uh, I wouldn't have thought a single one of those guys would have got an NFL look. And now our Curry's getting drafted and um, uh, Kevin Jarvis signed a non or uh, a non-drafted invite uh, with the lions. So you had two guys off that line who are at least going to get a look on, on, uh, on Sundays or, you know, at least in camps, let's say that. Um, but let's start with Kenneth Walker, Matt. I mean, he's obviously the headliner. It was always, you know, leading up to the draft. Is it going to be Brees Hall? Is it going to be Kevin Kenneth Walker? Brees Hall ends up going a little bit earlier to the Jets. Kenneth Walker lands with the Seahawks. Um, you know, I was having some debates with with some people on, on Twitter about the landing spot. Uh, I, we obviously all saw Kenneth Walker. We saw every snap he took this year electric plays, breaking tackles, turning little things into nothing. Obviously the historic performance against Michigan sits out the peach bowl, but um, just an all around amazing season, literally from the first carry that he had in the Michigan state uniform. So I don't think you have to convince any of us of his talent. Um, But in terms of the fit, I quite liked it. Uh, You know, they have his two main sources for competition. there are going to be Elijah Penny um, who has struggled with injuries his entire career. And Chris Carson, who is an ex seventh rounder who has been productive for the Seahawks, but he suffered a neck injury late last season. And his career is a doubt. Um, you also combine that with a run heavy scheme with Pete Carroll. Um, you know, he wants to run the ball, smash mouth football, literally traded Russell Wilson away. So they could do that even more. Um, so I like the landing spot in terms of opportunity. I guess the main concern would be, are the Seahawks just going to stink? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's the, I mean, was it Daniel Jeremiah, I think it was, I can't remember which analyst leading up to the draft was talking about 
you know, how running backs have been devalued. Um, and his argument was that he has no problem taking a running back high as long as you're ready to win now. Otherwise, you're basically, if you think, you know, five years or so, you're getting max out of a guy, you know, at his full potential, you're just wasting it if you're, if you're three years away. But um, I think that DJ Dallas is the only running back on that roster is uh, under contract after next season. So there is the potential there. And it, it was a little interesting because, you know, you heard Bills, Bills, Bills a lot leading up to the draft and maybe the Texans. And, and even Walker said he was surprised. He, he didn't really have a lot of contact with the Seahawks leading up to the draft. Uh, you know, he met with him at the Combine, did a Zoom with their running backs coach. So, but, you know, I, I guess for Seattle, if, if I mean, it says a lot. If running back wasn't really a huge need or, or so, I don't know how you want, really want to put it, um, given where they're at right now after trading Russell Wilson. but. Um, I mean, they obviously like Kenneth Walker a lot to, to not let him stick around uh, too long on day two. And obviously he's going to bring everything that we saw over uh, 12 games last season. I think the main sticking point for them was that he, he they know he can pull off neon. And that was sort of the main reason that they wanted to draft him, you know, that, that he's going to look fly and be able to rock neon and still play football. Do you, do you think that went into their draft decision? Uh, no, 0% into that to say the least. So, but a uh, nice try with the, uh, the neon. Uh, listen, I'm not a neon. I'm not a neon slap either. I don't think they need the neon. I don't mind it. I guess when it's on like the darker green, but those pants they wore against Western a couple years ago, punt them into the sun. Uh, you know, but we don't need a neon conversation right now. Uh, a couple other guys that we should talk about here. Jalen Naylor goes to the Vikings. Uh, good to see him get drafted after several years of injury plague seasons at Michigan state, you know, always been a productive guy, speedy using his speed. We saw the awesome catch in the peach bowl. Um, he goes to the Vikings where obviously Justin Jefferson is going to be entrenched as the number one receiver there for a long time. Adam Thielen has been a very productive player, um, but he's not getting any un- younger. And uh, honestly, the Vikings depth chart is, is somewhat open after that. So, uh, and they seemed real pumped to, to draft him, which is big for a sixth rounder. Yeah, their director of college scouting said uh, their wide receivers coach Keenan Cardle, which is a name you should remember, given he spent almost two full decades in the NFL and was a very good receiver, said he was, uh, quote, pounding the table to uh, to draft Jalen Naylor. So that says a lot. And, you know, I mean, the knock against him is just durability. I mean, you you see his playmaking ability, but, you know, 28 games over four seasons. I mean, only one of which he was healthy, and that was the seven-game 2020 season. But you know, when he is on the field, he is a, you know, a big play threat and and they see him as being somebody that could do that for them. And so, yeah, good for Jalen getting a landing spot and, you know, being in the interesting situation and being at home in Las Vegas while the draft hoopla is going around on around him. And uh, he said he just stayed home and stayed away from it, but he thinks his uh, family went down there to check it out. But he went about, I think he went about where he expected. You figured day three, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. And yeah, I think everybody kind of slotted to where, they were projected for once for as crazy as this draft was. Yeah. Well, yeah. At least coming in, I feel like people had no idea what the heck was going to happen coming into this draft. It a lot more unknown with quarterbacks, you know, not being uh, sort of top tier, like they have been in recent years, there was a lot more sort of toss up which way teams wanted to go. And I think people were surprised when Jalen Naylor entered his name, you know, considering he had eligibility and, 
you know, maybe just the fans were because, you know, Jaden Reed, I think we've looked at as the number one receiver on the team and he came back and Naylor left. So it was a little different, but it's good to see him get drafted. It's good to see his faith in himself pay off. And like we said, it's been anything but an easy road at Michigan State for him. So uh, he lost a lot of games, suffered a lot of injuries and um, to stick with it, have the season he had last year, albeit injury again, um, and to get drafted, it's good to see. Another guy it's great to see get drafted is Connor Hayward, uh, goes to the Steelers, which he just seems like a Steelers guy. Maybe it's because his brother plays there, but I mean, he just feels like a Steelers guy. Perfect draft pick spot, landing spot for him. Um, he's It's good to see him go. We've obviously documented his career at Michigan State, starting as a running back, being a much maligned running back, um, and then sort of getting moved to the H-back tight end role where he just thrived this last year and turned himself into a legitimate NFL prospect. But good to see him get uh, reunited with his brother. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But at the same time, you could see Mike Tomlin flipping on some Michigan State tape and seeing number 11 with his blocking ability and, and the catch he had in the Peach Bowl. And you could see him being a Mike Tomlin guy. Yeah, I mean, first of all, go back a year and I'll go back to August, September, you know, early before the season started. If somebody had told you Connor Hayward was getting drafted, I mean – you just, you, you wouldn't have believed it. I went back and looked at the, uh, you know, early look at Michigan state's 2022 draft prospects. I did last year. I'm going to do one from 23, probably for tomorrow, but I didn't even have Connor Hayward listed among the others. So, um, and I don't think I was wrong because you just didn't see it, but you know, we, we saw what the the change in position did for him and good for him. Cause they, they, you know, Mel Tucker and that staff got the most out of him. That was his best fit. And that's what the, the Steelers saw. And it is just, a perfect fit. You know, you heard leading up to the draft, he thought, you know, there's a little buzz with the Lions, just given that, you know, he was, you know, he went to the senior bowl, was coached up by Dan Campbell's staff, and, you know, he spoke very highly of him. But Pittsburgh just seemed, it just seemed perfect, you know, to be able to play with his brother. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, we, you know, the the media appearance uh, Connor did uh, uh, on Saturday after being drafted said, you know, he had, he thought the Steelers were interested, um, but he didn't try to really put that in his head because he didn't want to be disappointed if it didn't happen. But both him and his brother were, were, were surprised and said, and he was watching the draft with his brother, Cameron, who, as you should probably know, is a absolute beast of a uh, defensive lineman. He's a four-time all-pro. He's a hell of a player. Um, so, yeah, it is really cool. And they have – the Steelers now have four sets of brothers on their team, which is just complete insanity. But, uh, yeah, I don't – you know, it's kind of – I think it's perfect. You know, there's – but it's been a, there's like an 11 year difference between them and age. And Connor's always said his brother has been more like a, you know, a father figure to him, which makes sense. You know, he lost his dad when he was young, the uh, legendary Craig Ironhead Hayward. So <laughs> the, the two of them were on, I did a brief spot on ESPN during the draft on Saturday and, and Cameron was asked what he should expect from his younger brother. And he joked uh, to be getting ready to carry his shoulder pad. So there's going to be some, uh, a little, Rookie hazing, obviously, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works out uh, with that family dynamic. But uh, obviously, good for uh, good for Connor. Uh, Mike Tomlin spoke very highly of him, called him the Swiss Army knife, and basically said, you know, he was. We saw a lot of value in him, and that didn't have anything to do with his brother. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But a good spot for Connor to to end up, I think. I just wanted him to go to a competent coaching staff, you know, because like his skill set is so unique. And he has, you know, different ways that he can impact games, but you have to have a, a coaching staff that actually going to 
like use him properly and scheme him properly. And, you know, if he goes to the wrong system, he could just sort of get washed away because either there's not a need for his role in that offense or they just don't value it. So I think the Steelers, if Connor Hayward is good enough to play in the NFL, which he got drafted, he's obviously going to get a look. Uh, you know, they're going to give him every shot to do so in the most efficient way possible. And I wanted, you know, I thought Patriots could be a good fit because of that. I thought, you know, 49ers because of the run heavy scheme, um, you know, but they, you know, because I view Hay- Hayward as like a, a Kyle Juszczyk type as his ceiling, you know, just kind of like a fullback who can, who can block, but can also chip it in the passing game, run in short yardage situations, stuff like that. So uh, we'll see what happens with him. Um, but it was good to see him get drafted and definitely not expected. If you look back maybe two, three years ago, we would not have been thinking Connor Hayward was going to be in the NFL draft. Uh, Matt, why don't you run down um, some of the non roster or the non draft uh, drafted players that are going to get a look. And then Kyle, if you have any thoughts on these guys, go ahead. Um, yeah, well, obviously, you know, our career off the board, like we mentioned late. Um, so four picks, that's their most since having five in 2016. And it's kind of an interesting mix when you look at it really quick. Like, so Walker, obviously transfer out of nowhere, big season, second round pick. Naylor, guy who can, you know, stuck it through for injuries. Hayward, guy who came out of nowhere. And then our Curry, another guy who, you know, battled through injuries. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting mix of guys. But, and I, I thought that was about where their ceiling was three uh, I thought four would have been a little bit much, um, but they did get that many. And so after uh, draft ended, uh, Kevin Jarvis, obviously offensive lineman, he got assigned with the Lions, like you mentioned earlier. He gets, uh, according to report, 155000 guaranteed, which is a nice deal to land. Uh, Jacob Panasuk signed with the Washington Commanders. And then Matt Coglin, uh, the kicker, got a mini camp invite with the Bears. As of the last time I looked, like an hour ago, I had not seen anybody else who was signed. Um, obviously got a number of guys out there, guys like, yeah, Drew Beasley, Anthony Russo, uh, you know, there's, there's, I would, there, there are more of these guys that will end up at least as, you know, getting a, a camp invite. Um, but for now, that's, that's what we got. With our Curie, is there, um, is there a benefit? I mean, he was this, he was one pick away from Mr. Irrelevant. Um, but is there a benefit to him getting drafted? I mean, obviously it's cool to hear your name called on, you know, on the NFL draft day, but is there like a, financial considerations that it would be more for him to get drafted at well, that point than if he was a non-drafted I it, invite? I, I don't have the, I, I didn't look up the slot value for, you know, what were you going to get in the seventh round? I, you know, I don't know what the averages those guys bring home, but uh, the argument typically some make is that you, if you're going to go that late, you're better to be a undrafted free agent. So you can pick, pick. your spot, get the best fit for you. That said, <laughs> You know, it was a Kuiper on Saturday that was making the call and he was, and he was talking about that and basically said, don't believe that these guys want to hear their name called. So I think it varies upon the individual for a guy like AJ. I mean, yeah, you're five minutes away from trying to land as an undrafted free agent. Next thing you know, you're going to be joining the Super Bowl champs and, and living in LA. So quite the difference. Uh, and the Rams have a history of, you know, they've got he's like the fifth, sixth, He'll be like the sixth Big Ten offensive lineman on the team. Obviously, Brian Allen's there, uh, who he used to play with at Michigan State. So, I don't know. Interesting what the Rams are doing, but um, you know, good for him. And you know, I I just can't imagine. You know, you looking back for it from it. Uh, you know, twenty years from now, you know, what was what would have been better? Maybe finding the best fit, or can you sit, tell people, oh, yeah, I, I I played college football and I got drafted in the NFL. I mean, I think that's a big deal. So maybe, for me. maybe you can explain this to me, Matt, because I've never understood that philosophy either, because if a team's picking you, using a draft pick on you, like you are a good fit for them, right? Like teams aren't picking players that aren't good fits for them. So I've never, I mean, 
maybe you feel like you're a better fit for somebody else. But I don't know. Like to me, the logic in that argument has always been, well, a team drafting you isn't a good fit for you. And that's that's never made any sense to me. Yeah, I, I agree. If, if they are, if they're going to use a draft pick on you, which, you know, those are obviously valuable to every organization. Right. I think that shows you something. So they think you're a good fit, whether you think it is, I don't know, obviously, I, you know, it could different vary between each individual, but I think it's pretty cool. If I was a fringe prospect and I had been playing football my entire life, it would mean a lot to me to hear my name called in the NFL draft, because that's like, you know, no matter what happens in your career from here on out, you know, that's validation for everything you've worked for all through the years. It's somebody's recognizing your accomplishment uh, enough to where they think you're valuable enough for them to use one of these precious draft picks on you. So for me, I mean, that would be a win already just to, just to get drafted is an an incredible accomplishment. Um, So I think AJ should be proud of that. But Kyle, did you have any thoughts on the Spartans or where they landed or just the draft in general? I mean, not that much specific on where these guys landed. I think Matt covered that pretty well, but you know, I just think after last year, the, you know, getting shut out and obviously ending the streak. I mean, I think having that number of guys drafted was, was a good rebound for the program. And, you know, just like in basketball, getting guys drafted just helps your program so much. And it's um, in your recruiting and helping get guys in. And, um, you know, it, it, to me, it's interesting to me because it's kind of a mix. A lot I me, mean, most of those guys were D'Antonio guys that got brought mm-hmm. in, but I also think you can see Mel Tucker, obviously Mel Tucker, brought in Kenneth Walker and made him into, you know, help make him into what he is. But then, you know, you look like a guy like Hayward, you know, he's kind of both to me, you know, D'Antonio brings him in, obviously he had the talent, but then, you know, it was Mel Tucker and his staff that kind of found the right spot for him. So kind of a, I don't know. I know, I know we talked a lot last year, especially about kind of the, the talent um, falling off late in D'Antonio. I, I thought that this showed that there was some talent late there, but then maybe Mel Tucker did a good job maximizing that talent, developing it in his first couple of years and, and bringing in some additional guys like Kenneth Walker. Yeah, we over, I think some, maybe I've done it and a lot of people on Twitter definitely have done it where they sort of overstep and say that D'Antonio left the cupboard bare. That's just not true. And if you, even if you look at the roster, the guys who are still there this year, I mean, obviously Mel has supplemented it with the portal in his early classes, but there was a lot of talent still left for, for Mel Tucker to work with. Mm-hmm. And that he wouldn't have had an 11 and two season last year without the D'Antonio guys. So let's slow the roll on Mark D'Antonio left the program in shambles uh, because it could have been a lot worse. Uh, they did win a bowl game in his final game uh, to remind you. So uh, I think it's been a really cool transition. It's been cool to see Mel Tucker take these guys over. And uh, he's obviously huge on the Spartan dog for life thing. We see him put it on Twitter all the time. So, uh, you know, these guys will continue to be welcome at the program. And obviously Michigan state will continue to be their biggest cheerleader as they uh, head into the NFL, which is, uh, as we know, tough to break into, even when you're a draft pick. So uh, anything else to guys, or should we get out of here? Uh, but we can briefly mention the, the uh, Quaveris Crouch hit the portal on uh, Friday, I believe it was. So uh, I think a move that fans were, you know, people, everybody's been wondering all spring, what's about what's up with Crouch, what's up with Crouch, because he wasn't practicing with the team. He didn't practice with the team. Well, I mean, you got your answer now. So they've kind of, and I know this wasn't a surprise, you know, you get when they bring in when you bring back a freshman all-american Halliday, you bring back or you add uh Aaron Brule and Jacoby Winman to transfers with a ton of experience who played a lot in the spring. Um Ben Summerin's back and um Ma's back. It's got crowded pretty quickly. So we'll see where he ends up, but a little more clarity at linebacker moving forward. And also and Darius Snow working there in the spring, obviously, is, is part of the factor too. So only two spots unless you know they, they do put three on the field at the time, using one as like a down 
as an edge rusher. But um, yeah, so that's where they are moving forward. And, and it is worth noting that is, you know, it's past May 1st, although, you know, the, the rules state that, you know, the school after being, so a player would have, Kyle touched on this, you, the player had to inform the school by midnight of May 1st, before midnight of May 1st, their intent to transfer. The school has two business days, but I've never seen Michigan drag Michigan State drag their feet and putting these guys in there. Not that I'm looking, you know, officially in there, but I talked to one of their compliance officers last summer and he basically, and he said, what will we get them in there as quickly as we can. There's no, there's no benefit to us to keep their names out. So as of now, that leaves uh, three Michigan State football players who've entered the portal since the end of spring practice, Donovan Eaglin, Eaglin Antoine Booth, and obviously Quiveris Crouch. Yeah, we never know what's going to happen in this day and age, man. We're hearing all sorts of crazy stuff with this NIL and transfer stuff. So uh, maybe a topic we can get into over the summer uh, because it's getting wild out there. And uh, I know a lot of people are nervous about the future of college sports, but that's a topic for another day and we'll have time to get into it. So I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Appreciate everyone for listening. I uh, can just check out our work at mlive.com slash Spartans. All the draft recap is there uh, for both Lions and Michigan, Michigan State stuff, Central Michigan, Western, both had guys drafted. So we've got coverage on that. Um, and then, you know, basketball, the movement will stay on top of it. Um, so that's going to do it for today's episode of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. For Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Champion. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. And go Green.